Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Happy birthday to Marie. Happy birthday to Jay. Happy birthday to Greg. Denise Walker is not here, but her birthday is tomorrow. And then Brian Beatty, Roisin's husband, all the way off in Ireland. His birthday is also today. Oh, wow. Um, so some of you have interacted with Roisin. Some of you know who she is. Her husband um, is a lovely, lovely man. Hallelujah. Well, what do you guys want to talk about? But everybody loved the Bible study that you interjected. Yeah. The other They're yeah. so special. Yes. I got so many messages on Messenger about that. Yeah. So many. Maybe everyone didn't hear. Maybe he could share it again. Yeah. I'd love to because it has been ministering to me every day, like uh, like medicine. Uh, this is from my my son Nick, who uh, was sending me a text to encourage me <coughs> after I lost a a case that I'd been working on for a number of years. But that's why you have an appeal, right? True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm really. So this is from Nick. The text. I'm really sorry to hear about that case. I don't like when things don't go your way, and would rather things not go my way instead. Mm. This sounds like a good opportunity for the world to present you with lies but an even better opportunity for God to remind you of his goodness. Not winning the case will take away from you just as much as winning would have added nothing. You've already been declared a winner. There is no such thing as missing out. Losing a case might mean a world of depression for another attorney, but for you, it can actually be a perfect time for the truth to be exercised in you. Let God remind you that this world is fleeting and that the day is quickly coming when you will be raised into an incorruptible, immortal body with a back that doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. I pray that God gives birth to the thought, glory to God, I lost that case. Love you, Dad. Oh. <laughs> oh, that, I don't even want to say kid. I only say that because he's 20-something years younger than me. But he's not a kid. Obviously, he's a grown man, and he's mature more than, much more than his years would express. But, man, Nicholas, he, he understands the spirit of faith. Amen. Right? I get happy when I hear those words because what it says to me, because what I'm after, it, I could say a bunch of wise things that people could think, that sounds real wise. And if I could get that to work in my life, that would be awesome. Um, but that's not really what I do, what, what I do here. I'm trying to see the spirit of faith built in people's hearts to where they discern all things. They know all things. They understand all things, and they don't know why they understand it, right? right. I'm actually trying to preach a message that would bring people to the place where they don't need me. I'm not trying to bring a message to, to bring people to the place where they think they need me. I'm trying to bring them to the place where they realize, oh, I don't need Greg. Right. right? But Nicholas, man, that thing that I've always wanted way back before I even met Nicholas has been built in him. And he sees all things. And he knows all things. And it isn't because I told him. He sees the thing that sees all things. Right. And what happens is, is even if you don't understand something, when you come across it, if you have the spirit of faith, 
dwelling in you and working in you, and that's your eyes, you'll find that you understand everything as it happens. You'll discern it in a way that is unto great understanding, right? And so when you read that text, I feel so happy on a number of fronts. What's also remarkable is the next day, uh, something that I've been working on for like a year that I really wanted to come about, came about. And my first thought was, this isn't going to add anything to my life. Hmm. It is not that I didn't want it to come about. I did want it to come about. I've been working on it to come about. But the fact that it was coming about wasn't going to add anything to my life. Right. Yeah, can't add one cubit of stature yeah, to so your life. You can, uh, you, you can, like we've been talking about for years in this church, your heart gets insulated. Yeah, it's kept, lust is kept from being born in you. Yeah. Right? There's, disappointment's fine. Even grief is fine. But how do you process through that? Right? Do you process it through with it through the word of eternal life, or do you process it through it with the life that's in the world? Yeah. Who's the father of your life? Yeah, exactly. The world or God? Yeah. And so when you think about things you encounter in this world, are you processing through it with God based on his life, or are you processing through it with the world based on its life? One will be unto liberty and freedom, and peace being restored, and your flesh being put to rest. The other one will be unto anxiety, fear being conceived in your heart, your members being taken captive, where you start lusting to try to attain to satisfaction. Right? What, what really, really got me about Nick's comments was, uh, aside from the obvious wisdom of them, is uh, it, didn't, it didn't take him as, as coming from my son, but actually as coming from my father. Mm. Mm -hmm. But coming yes. through my son. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And actually, that's exactly how Jesus communicated us. Yeah. Yeah. It, it From was the like, Father through I mean, the Son. It's, it's good. It's, it's a very sweet thing. Yeah, the Father spoke through the Son. And Matt, do you want to pick up on what you've been twisting on with? For, it's not just that I have nothing to lose, it's that I have nothing to gain. Or use your own words. thing that I'm, well, I mean, it's, it's just as obvious as what you just said. The more you fellowship with the life of God and you understand that the fullness of everything that your heart desires is contained in that life. Yes. And when you recognize that that life has been given to us as a gift, it, it puts everything to rest. There's no more... It, it causes lack to just vanish and be nothing because it has been swallowed up by that which contains all things. And in the midst of that which contains all things, there's even nothing to aspire to. There's 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 nothing that can happen. Like Thomas talking about that case, if he had won that case, that wouldn't put him in a position of being any more as he ought to be than what he is right now. Amen. And it does the same thing for me, and it does the same thing for you. And it's, it's not something we have to work up. We just fellowship with that life and it convinces our heart. And the fruit of what happens in there starts coming out. You know, um, this is a good place for that, ain't it? So I was talking with Annette the other day. You know, it's really important what you give yourself to as far as what you're hearing. You know, Greg posted a thing this morning about how there's a, there's a feast, that's, there's a table that's been prepared for us this morning. We come in here and it's laid out. Well, we've got a choice. We can, we can feast on, on the Word of God and the life of God 
and what goes into you is what will come out of you. Those of us that have children, think about this. There was, there was always this one kid that you didn't want your kids hanging around. I think it was great. Hey, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that. It was me. Hold on. I don't think Denise heard that. But there was this one kid that you didn't want your kids hanging around because he would have a bad influence and all of a sudden he'd come home and he'd have he'd have that kid's attitudes and everything about that kid that you don't like starts showing up in your kid. It starts being birthed on the inside of you. Right. And that's kind of what happened in the Garden of Eden. God showed up and said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of that tree? Mm-hmm. It would be kind of like, Where you, have you been hanging around with that kid? Mm-hmm. You know, because what you hang around, what you feed on, it'll be birthed in your heart. You've got fertile soil in your heart and it'll start producing the fruit. Amen. And just to know that it's as simple as that when it comes to the word of life, producing that very life and all the fruits of that life, it just it, it puts us to rest. There's no more struggling. There's no more striving. And then all of a sudden we can live our life in every area just out of passion because it's something I want to do or I cannot do something because I just don't want to do it because it can't add to me. It can't take away from me. Right. Yeah, the liberty to not do things. Yeah. Not just the liberty to do things, but not just the power to do what you want to do, the power to not do what you really don't want to do. Exactly. Right? Because there's a lot of things that we do we don't want to do, but we do it because we think we can find life on the other side of it. Right? There's a lot of things we engage in, from, not from the foundation of thinking we will enjoy this, but we engage in it from the foundation of thinking that it will add a cubit of stature to our life. Right? There, there's so many things that order our steps, and lack is one of the things, or abundance is one of the things. And the problem in the world is that the world's life is filled with lack. And so people's steps are ordered by the lack they feel, right? Instead of their steps being ordered by abundance. Well, God, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief has fathered the life that's in the world. And the life that's in the world is a life that's filled with lack. It can never satisfy your heart. But I have come that you might have an abundant life. An abundant life is a life that abounds over the lack that's in the world. That's what it means. It abounds over sin and death. It superabounds over it. And God came to give us an abundant life from the get-go. So that's the foundation that we start from. So our steps become ordered by abundance instead of by lack. And then what it is is you start to enjoy things because everything was given for us to enjoy, right? But what's happened is, is the things we see we might enjoy, they've gotten exalted in our eyes to the place as if they can add one cubit of stature to us, right? They got exalted to the place where if we don't, have those things it can take away but jesus comes and said take no thought for your life for which of you suppose that you can add one cubit of stature to yourself and so you can just have that conversation with god what is it that you think you need so bad right now what is it that you that you're after right now right well just let that thing be put back into the place where you can actually enjoy it if it comes to pass and you can still feel peace if it doesn't come to pass Start asking yourself, can this add one cubit of stature to my life? Right? Why is, what, what, why is my mind even filled with this? Right? What am I doing? And then see what God will show you. 
Because Jesus is teaching that God has taken thought for your life. And the thought God's taken for your life to care for it is exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. And Jesus is trying to make the point, listen, God has filled up the measure of your life with himself. And so it's as big and as abounding as it could ever be, right? You can't add to the stature that God has filled you up into. You can't take away from the stature that God has filled you up unto because to do that would mean that you could add to God or that you could take away from God. And none of us think that something in this world or something we've encountered can add to God or take away from God. None of us think that, right? What, what God's trying to do, it's like this, uh, it's not a magic trick, but it's, it's, a, it's a difficult maneuver considering the human heart and the death that's in the world. He's trying to get you to the place that the conclusions you would make about God's life is the same conclusions you would make about your own. Yes. And there's a gigantic disconnect for us yes. where we don't tend to do that, right? Where uh, we run down the road sometimes having made conclusions about our life that we would never hold to be true if it pertained to God's life, right? And God's trying to convince us that he has given us his life. That's the point of the gospel. In Jesus was the life of the Father. Jesus says the things, the Holy Spirit will come and he will show you the things that are mine. And the things that are mine are all things that the Father has, he says. He's talking about the Father's life. I have inherited all of the Father's life. And the Holy Spirit has guided you into the place where you see that the Father has emptied himself out for you. And given you all things that he has for himself. And so he's trying to bridge the gap where, that's what it means to call God Father. When you call God Father, what, what it's suggesting is that your heart, when it thinks of its life, it thinks of the life that's in the Father. Yeah. Right? Calling the world Father is that when your heart thinks of your life, your heart thinks of all the things in the world. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. That's why John will come and say, love not the world. That's what the love of the world is. It doesn't mean that you like going to concerts or that you enjoy traveling or that you like having a party or that you like to play music or that you like to play sports or you like to paint and that all those things give you a buzz. It's not saying you're not supposed to like the things in the world. It's saying when you conclude or make conclusions about your life, you're not supposed to look to the things in the world and what the life in the world looks like around you because the world isn't your father, right? God is your father. And that's the power behind calling God Father. And again, I guess I'm on this kick now. We've made all these powerful phrases in the scriptures all just cliches. God is my Father. Exactly. And then well, if we took a poll of everybody in the church, I don't mean this church, in the world, and asked them, what does it mean that God's your Father? Listen, I promise you we'd get various answers and almost probably less than 1% would have anything to do with what it actually meant when Jesus called God his Father. Yes. Right? And the effect that had on Jesus as he walked in the earth. Right? Yeah. And so it's a powerful thing. And that's the gap the gospel's trying to bridge. And that's why we've shifted from life to death. Right? Instead of, well, I thought I was ugly to God, but now I'm beautiful to God. That's why there isn't any power in that. There's only relief. The gospel is not about you were ugly to God, and now you can become beautiful to God. It's not about God despised you because of your bad behavior. And you didn't do good things. And now what he's had to do is he's had to beat up on Jesus because he needed to spank somebody. Right? And now that's where the gospel has been preached from. But that does nothing to bridge the gap between your life and his life. Right. 
Right. And that has nothing, it doesn't do anything to deal with the problem with why lust was even born in our heart. God doesn't look at the fruit that was coming out of us. He looks at what's causing this fruit to come out of them. And he sees what's causing this fruit to come out of them is that lust has been conceived in their heart. And that lust has taken their members captive. And the motion of sin has been set forth inside of their members. Death is manifested in their flesh. That death is telling them they're separated from what they need for life. That death is telling them they lack. That death is telling them that they don't have. And that's taking their members captive and causing them to live by the sweat of their brow, laboring and toiling, trying to gather life to themselves. So God sees, well, I'm not lusting after life. That's because my life is so much that it superabounds. And so the way we're going to solve the problem is if we can destroy their fellowship with death, if we can end their union to the life that's just dust, <coughs> And we can get it right to bestow our life on them. Then lust can be removed from their heart. And we can start to see their lives shaped by our life. And that's the whole point of the gospel. The old man is the man who's dying. The new man is a man that ever lives and can't die. The new man is a man that's inherited all of God himself. The old man is a man that inherited death and all corruption and tribulation. Well, the whole point is, is you've been divorced from the old man. You've been divorced from the man that's married to this world. You've been divorced from the man whose life is born of this world. And you've been joined together with the new man whose life has come forth by the power of the Father, whose life is an incorruptible life, an indestructible life, a life that can't be made crooked. And even if it comes upon crookedness, it will make it straight. Right. Right? And the gospel is about you putting on that new man. That's what it means to put on the new man. It doesn't mean, well, look at the, the way the new man would behave, and now you go and behave like the new man. To put on the new man means you see the life that the new man has, and you put on his life, meaning you say his life is my life. And you start talking with God about what it means that his life is your life. And what happens is, is the conclusions you start to make about your life are the same conclusions that you would make about the life of God. Right now, there's great strength in that for you in this world. There's great grace, Amen. right? Because there's Amen. grace in the life of God. Mm-hmm. His life produces strength. There's strength in an incorruptible life. There's strength in an indestructible life. There's strength in a life that has no beginning and has no end. It removes even the simplest little cliches that are full of weakness, yeah. right? Like missing out, like bucket lists. You notice how there's weakness wrapped up in those ideas? Mm-hmm. The weakness of, I can miss out. Right. Yep. Any of you feel good at the thought that you can miss out? No. Does anybody feel good about that? No. Does anybody say, oh, hallelujah, I can miss out? <laughs> yeah, there's another phrase in what Nick wrote that really, uh, it really uh, has been uh, impressed in me. Where he said, uh, and, and this is God has said, has said this, the day is quickly coming. Yeah. It's like if you think about something in your life, say fourth grade, that you're really upset, your bike got stolen or something. Uh, it seems so long ago, and back then it was like the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Well, what we're enduring now, whatever it is, as a result of death, the effect of death on us in this world, it's quickly passing away. It may not seem like it from this perspective as you, when you're in the middle of it, but uh, it's like a storm that we go through that we don't stay in. And I found that really encouraging. The day is quickly coming. Mm. Whatever you're feeling right now that is giving you grief or discomfort or pain, it's quickly. It may not seem like it, 
but it's quickly passing away. Well, it doesn't seem like it from the position of a temporal life. Right. But the, from the position of a life that's eternal, that has no beginning or end, everything is quickly coming. <laughs> that's right. Everything is almost presently here in that kind of a life. And it's the same thing with the missing out. With the life that has no beginning and no end, there's strength in that because you can't miss out. Right. And so you eat, just in that one example, you see the things the world declares to you, and you see the things that God's life declares to you, right? God's life will convince your heart you can't miss out on anything. Now you're no longer living in the earth thinking that you can miss out. You're no, your steps are no longer ordered by, I don't want to miss out. I promise you, the things you'll do and the things you'll think are completely different if you think you can miss out from if you think you can't miss out. That's right. And then you'll find that you're doing things you don't even really want to do. You're just afraid you're mi- you could miss out. miss out. And you don't want to miss out. That's right. And because I don't want to miss out, boy, I'm going to be doing. Right. right? Well, you didn't even really want to do it, but by golly, at least you can say you did miss out. But then you'll find that at the end, the, the life that's in the world, it will show up as your father and say, one thing you missed out on. Yeah, right. And then, oh, torment, oh, wretched man that I am. Right? right? And so it, it's like a complete shift in thinking. That's what putting on the new man is about. He's been renewed in the image of God. The old man was clothed in corruption, was clothed not in the likeness of God. He wasn't wrapped in immortality. He wasn't possessing an indestructible life. Well, the new man has been renewed in the image of God, the likeness of God's immortality, an indestructible life. He reigns through the power of an indestructible life. That's what the gospel is about. The gospel is like a tailor coming to you and fitting you for an indestructible life and then putting it on you and asking you, how does that feel? Right? Guys, I don't know, ladies, I don't know if you do that with dresses, maybe wedding dresses and such. But that's what the gospel is like. God's showing up as a tailor, fitting you for his immortality, his indestructible life, a life without beginning or end. And he's putting it on you. And you're trying it on for size. And he's asking you how it feels. And he's talking to you about the fabric, the substance of the suit he just put on you. And he's talking about how moths cannot eat that suit. Listen, man, I got a real nice suit and I got it tailored a while ago. I love that suit. There's Pictures of Becky and I dancing at weddings where I'm wearing the suit. And I thought, man, I'm not a good-looking guy, but that suit makes me look good. <laughs> I pulled that suit out a couple months ago, and Moss had eaten oh, no. that suit. That's the old man, right? He's dressed in a life where moths can eat it and rust does shine forth. My car is rusted out there, too, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm a what-you-do guy, so even before I go to bed, I think, okay, I need to accomplish these five things before I go to the birthday party. And I even think a week ahead, I need to do this, 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 and so I set out to do it. And then there's maybe trouble with the first one, more than I expected. And I fall behind, and I get, okay, I gotta hurry. Always. I get anxious, right? And then maybe I finish four. So when I go to the party, I'm not a happy Billy. I'm thinking about the thing I didn't do. Right? So the, the, power of his, the power of time owned me. You know, and it, and it took, I mean, Jill helped, but it took, it took, wow. I never even thought of that. I mean, the spirits of Billy, just like a bucket list, Billy, it's okay if you don't finish. And I, it was like, uh, and I thought, what, all these years? This is fantastic. <laughs> the, the, the Lord will restore the years that the cankers <laughs> Right? But no, it, it's true. If you look in the scriptures, Jesus was never sped up. 
He was never rushed. Right. You see the people around him very rushed. Yes. Right? And yeah. trying to rush him. Yeah. And that's one of the things I meditate on with God all the time because I can easily find myself with too many things to do and then I feel sped up yeah. and rushed. Yeah. And I've been talking with God about that. Right? And I don't judge myself negatively if I feel sped up. But I realize within God is a life that isn't rushed. And since he's my father, I know he can give birth to that in me. So it's not that I'm judging myself unrighteous because I'm sped up and now I need to attain to that, so I'm not. It's just that I know what kind of life he has and the life that I have comes from him. And so I talk with him about that. What is it about you, Lord, that you're never rushed? I just pose questions to him about his life. It's the same thing I did when I realized Psalm 23 is still talking with Jesus about Jesus on the cross. And I saw a guy who had all lack in my eyes say his cup runneth over. I didn't understand that, to use Lisa's words. I don't, that, I don't understand what he's saying there. How does he say that? Right? And then I just ask God, how does a guy nailed to a tree say his cup runs over and he doesn't lack anything? Just that simple question. You know what? God gave birth to the answer inside of me. And so, man, guys, there's power in just posing questions to God. What is it about you? What is it about your life that you don't feel this? What is it about you that when you encounter the death and the cross, you still feel like you had all things? What is it about you? Because I know that you can give birth to that in me. And I desire to live my life in this world walking in a life that's been shaped by you and not the lack that's in the world. What right? you're saying right there, that's, that's what I mean by fellowshipping with the life. And it'll produce the thing. I mean, the verse that came up earlier, you know, take no thought for your life. Take no thought for tomorrow. How many of you have ever seen that verse and thought, how in the world do I pull that off? <laughs> I mean, it's like, how do you do that? Well, I don't know. But what I have found is as I'm fellowshipping with the life, like Greg's describing right now, I find that thing just happening in me without me having to try. It's just I, I'm like, whoa, I'm different. Something's changed. Yeah. And I didn't do it. Yeah. You stepped out of temporalness into eternity. Mm-hmm. Right? In your heart. It goes back to what we were talking about at Linda's when that death of the pollen and the bites came against me. It's like, as Linda, I just sat down and cried and just said, <coughs> I want to go home. I don't like this anymore. But I sat down um, or laid down on the couch and I put YouTube on repeated messages and I said, Lord, you do not feel like this today. And it's like, I know your life is inside of me. And I just listened for like, well, I did finally fall asleep to you, which I never was able to do. (laughs) (laughs) But I listened for like eight hours straight, just one message of life after another. Just kept reminding and it's like, Deb's back. The next day, it was like, Lord, your life lives in me. Mm. This has wow. no power over me. Right. Yeah. yeah, it even raised up a dead body. It raised and up it wasn't head. like a body that was partially dead. Like, it was fully dead. Like, we couldn't perform CPR yeah. on that body. The blood ran out of that body. There could be no confusion. Those lungs were not going to start breathing again. The blood was not going to return to the organs. Dead. He was dead, dead. Just like it says, in the day you eat from this tree, you will be dead, dead. Dying, you will die. Your death will be a certainty. 
Well, man, we see what the life of God can do inside of a body that's even fully dead. It raises it up out of the grave. And it doesn't just like raise it up out of the grave and says, well, here's a second chance. It raises it up out of the grave to where it can never die again. And so we have a life that isn't subject to death. And the gospel is trying to help us connect with a life that isn't subject to death. Because this mortal body can still feel the effects of death. And this mortal body can still try to declare to us that we are subject to death. Because that's what weakness tries to declare to you. That your life is fragile. That you are being overcome. That you don't have what you need. That's what mortality declares. And so, man, when you start connecting with the life of God, it, you'll find God clothing you in his life. Which was the point in the beginning. That's why Adam was naked. He was in need of being clothed upon by God. He was needed to be clothed upon with the immortality of God. Well, God come and fulfilled what he began in Genesis when he raised Jesus out of the grave, clothed, renewed in the image of the, the, the man that God intended from the beginning. Right? Right? And Thomas, I mean, yeah, everybody loved the Bible study Wednesday night too. I, I forgot about that. But the Sunday, the last Sunday you two were here, when you started off the question with, if we are as we ought to be, yeah. then why do I feel as if I'm not? That was awesome. I've gotten many, many emails and messages about that whole talk mm-hmm. and how powerful it was, yeah, right? It was awesome. And it even went right along with what I was already going to talk about, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Justified means to be declared to be as you ought to be. Something declares to you that you are as you ought to be. And w- the reason why it's so powerful is because negative feelings negative emotions anxiety fear lack those things scream in our face that we're not as we ought to be right that's what they declare to us and what we have to understand about human beings is eternity is in our hearts that means an indestructible life is in our hearts a life that doesn't lack is in our hearts that's what we know is right that's the good life why do people even want a good life in this world because eternity is in their hearts. They know that they ought to have a good life, right? The problem is, is the good life that the world can give you, even the best one the world can give you, can never satisfy the eternity that's in your hearts, right? And so the reason why that's so powerful is because we know we're supposed to have life. And the moment we think we don't, we think that means we're not as we ought to be. And we know that in life is no weakness. In life, there's no lack. In life, there's no anxiety and fear. We all know that. So in the day we feel those things, do you know what those things tell us? We can't possibly have life. Because if we have life, why would I be feeling this way? Do you see? Well, that's giving a testimony to us. It's almost like we're on trial, right? It's almost like the the movie The Wall. Where at the end, the guy's on trial in the cartoon and the judge is like speaking in that voice. It's like all those feelings are given a testimony to us that we don't have the life, the good life that's in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Well, God said, i got to do something to advocate for them against that voice, against that testimony that is happening. And the way I'm going to advocate for them, the way I'm going to justify them from that voice, the way that I'm going to bring another voice into the earth that declares to them that they are as they ought to be, is I'm going to come and give them the life that is the eternity that's in their hearts from the beginning. I'm going to come and give them the indestructible life that they want. I'm going to bestow upon them the good life that their heart knows is good, that their heart knows is right. 
And in them having that life, every time the weakness in the world tries to accuse them or testify to them that they don't have the good life, that life will well up inside of them and will begin ministering to their hearts. Yes. Right? And that's what the gospel does. It's the justification of life. That's how it justifies you. It comes and persuades you that you do possess the good life that you want. That works against the feelings of lack, anxiety, fear, all those things. Right? Torment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If people would understand these things about themselves, they, they would start to discern the voices. They would start to know why they're there, how they got there, what does it mean, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And they would start to discern the Father's voice in that place, mm-hmm. right? They would start to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, right. right? When you hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, do you know what ends up happening inside of you? What happened to the psalmist in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. When you hear the voice of the good shepherd, you know what the voice of the good shepherd is telling you? He's showing you that he served you with his life. And in that, you see the life your heart's longing for. And when you see the life your heart's longing for, and you see that the good shepherd is there and he's giving it to you, the voice that's telling you you don't have the good life, guess what happens to it? It's rebuked. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Yes. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is this not a brand that's been plucked out of the fire? Right? If you look at Jesus, he did not feel as he ought to feel. What he felt on that cross are not feelings that were consistent with possessing life. Because I promise you, when your body is pierced with nails in the way they were pierced, when you're stripped like that and beat to a pulp with flogs that have like barbed wire, and the flesh is pulled from your ribs, and thorns are inch-long thorns are pressed into your crown, I promise you, your body is not feeling like it possesses life. No. Your body is feeling like it is not possessing life. And it is as far away from life as it could ever be. And so that mortality that Jesus' body possessed, that weakness, that anxiety that he felt, it was trying to testify to him on the cross. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, recorded the testimony it was trying to give him. You're separated from God. You're separated from life. You can't be his son. Look at the death manifesting in you. And all those things were screaming to him that he didn't possess the life that was good, that he wasn't as he ought to be. But Jesus knows the voice of the good shepherd, the father, and another voice will he not hear. And in that place, he heard the voice of the shepherd telling him that I'm in you and you're in me. Telling him that I prepared a table for you in the midst of this death. The table is full of the life you share with me from the beginning. The life that even raises up dead flesh is dwelling inside of you. You are the incorruptible seed. You are the resurrection and the life. Now all of a sudden, do you know what that did? It rebuked the devourer. It rebuked the voice that was coming from all the death he felt. It rebuked the voice that was coming from anxiety, from lack, from fear. It rebuked those voices. And it sent them away, right? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Do you know how the Lord rebukes Satan in your life? He comes and gives you a life that can't die, a life that overcomes death. And so how can death tell you you don't have life when you have a life that overcomes death? Exactly, yes. That's how he rebukes Satan in your life. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And what Nicholas texted you, that's the voice of the Father. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And your life was coming under fire from the prince of this world. And the way that the prince of this world attacks our life is he comes and talks to us about our life based on the life he fathered in the world. 
And when we look at the life that he fathered in the world, guess what? It looks like compelling evidence that we don't have what we need. Right. It looks like compelling evidence that something has happened to corrupt our lives. Right? Yes. Okay. Well, God comes as the Father of heaven. Right? Whom heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. The life that's in the world, the death that the prince of this world brought forth, it's his footstool. It's underneath him. And he comes and ministers to us the life he has in himself that even makes dead bones live, that can even saturate dry bones that have turned into dust to the degree that they reformulate and come back to life. There's a, a, a series on HBO called Raised by Wolves. There's a lot of religious connotations in that. But one of the characters in the movie, or in the show, I think it's the second season, is this old android that's body had been rotted away. And so it couldn't function. Well, the body started reformulating and cellularly regenerating to the degree that she stood up. It was a functioning robot again. And that's what the life of God will do, even to dead bones that are so brittle and so dried out by the death and lack in this world that they've even turned to dust. His life will even saturate those bones to the degree that they'll reformulate. And they'll stand back up alive. Mm -hmm. And that's how he rebukes the prince of this world in our lives. Right? But we've lived so long in cliche Christianity. Where all these things are just cliches to us. And then we feel like losers because we recognize something ain't right. Because if this is all the gospel can do, man, what the heck? Right? Well, we've just been busy with cliches. We ain't been busy with the life that's behind the cliches. And that's why we do what we do here. So that we could all be confronted with what the gospel is actually about. So we could be confronted with the life that overcomes death. So that we can be confronted with what is actually the source of what torments us. Because then what will happen is, is we'll start congregating with the God that raises people up out of the miry clay. We'll start congregating with God as if he's the father of our life instead of every time we want to have a meeting and we want to make decisions about what's best for our life, we gather the world together. And we have the world sit in the board meeting and we take all of their uh, thoughts about our life. We'll stop doing that, right? We'll start congregating with the good shepherd and the life he has. And that's where our conclusions about our life will come. And you know what God's life will always conclude? Your life is very good. It will always tell you that. God's life will never say one thing you lack. God's life will never say, well, you could just get your hands on this. God's life will always testify that your life is very good. Right? The world will always testify that your life is not very good. Yeah, right. I don't care. I don't care. Right. I don't care how good you can get it. I think all of us. I think everybody in here is old enough where we might have had some times where we thought that's the sweet spot, where we really had everything going good here. Oh yeah. We mixing and scratching. Check out these fresh beats I'm dropping. Right. I really got the rhythm going now. (laughs) Right. And then kabam. Right. And that's why we live by the knowledge of the Son of God instead of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? The knowledge of good and evil is the knowledge that it's good to have life. Yeah. It's right. It's just to have life. We all know that it's just to have life. Well, what do you think we feel the moment we think we don't have life? 
injustice. Yes. You know what comes alive inside of a human being in the presence of injustice? Pick up the sword. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, guess what? Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And so you can't find justice by the sword. Not the sword that the world yields. You know what you can find justice by? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is how he conquered death in the flesh of Jesus. So he took vengeance on the death that was warring against us. And that vengeance that he took on death through his Word, that Word starts speaking comfort to us. Like Isaiah says, speak comfortably to my people. Tell them that where their iniquity was causing death to reign over them, that the grace that's in my eternal life has superabounded over their iniquity. Right? Tell them that though their sin was red as crimson, causing death to reign over them, that we have made it as white as snow. Right? And now these things aren't cliches. You start understanding what these things mean. Right? In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of the world, white as snow. Right? What is the blood? Death. Right? You know, the more you spend with somebody, kind of like the kid analogy, uh, I think the more you, you become like them. Like Lisa, when she first met me, didn't eat as fast as she does now. Oh, that's because I'm afraid he's going to steal my food. That's <laughs> how I grew up with my brothers and sisters. Exactly. But I was thinking about my, my initial reaction to this. Uh, <laughs> My initial reaction to that bad news about the case was was bodily. My my, my yeah. body just went into Shock. stress mode. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, going back to the idea, well, why you know things are they all, if things are the if I am the way they ought to be, why do I feel the way I feel? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I told Nick was uh, how I felt was okay. It was okay to feel that way because uh, Jesus, with whom we are identifying and becoming like. He sweat blood. Like, so if my friend Jesus sweat blood, it's okay that I felt some stress. Right. Because yeah. he, he's, he's just like me. He yeah. feels stressed too. Right. And the stress wasn't a sign that he right. didn't have the good life. Exactly. Right. The stress was not a sign that he was separated from life. Exactly. Right? All right. And so I, I guess the, the point I get trying to convey is there's great um, comfort in being persuaded that you are just like him and he is just like you that's right which will segue into next sunday's message god is your support group and by the way when thomas sent that text to me i was on the tennis court and i literally started crying Mm. because i thought wow that's my son Mm -hmm. and you know how you just said a little while ago you wanted us to not you don't want us to hear you want us to walk away and be able to not need you yeah. and and not and know the life that we have and i was like wow he's got it like i was like, like yeah, i was like oh. now we need him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well he's younger than me he has more energy <laughs> no i'm joking i have all the energy i need because i have the life of god Amen. but the, what we always wanted here wasn't for greg to be reproduced what we wanted was for the incorruptible seed that is Jesus to be reproduced in people and it has been and it is being and it shall be right Right. God's word will not return unto him void right his word was sent into the earth to accomplish a purpose and it's to bring forth life in you it's to dwell in you and be a tree of life inside of you 
while you're here and forevermore, mm-hmm. right? And it will accomplish what, it, what its intent was. Sure. And that's why we preach it. That's why that's all we'll ever preach. And listen, when, when none of us, when, when all of our conscience was so stained by our own works that we, we struggled to believe we were beautiful to God, we hammered that at the beginning. And it was like getting us all close enough to God to where we could hear what he actually wanted to say. Yes. Because like I used for my own self, I thought I was a dog out in the yard, right? Chilling in one of those dog glues on a, on a chain, right? And I could see into the house and I could see God in the house and I could see there was a good life in there. And I could see God yelling from inside of the house trying to talk to me, but I could never really make out what he was saying. But I would never come into the house because I didn't think I belonged in the house. Because look at my filthy rags after all, right? Well, then one day when I was looking in the house, chilling in the dog glue, I saw there was a human being in the house. And then I saw I'm a human being. And I saw that guy's in the house. And look, the father's serving him. Wait a second. Does that mean I can be in the house? And so then I walked out of the dog glue and I got close to the door and I realized the gate was always open. And I come walking up into the house. And then I could hear what he was trying to tell me. Amen. Right? Yes. And all that stuff that, that we talked about, what we look like to God, that stuff is powerful. Yeah. And it was needed. Yeah. It's needed to know you're the image of God. Right. right? But being the image of God and knowing that you're beautiful to God isn't the power to persuade you of sonship. It isn't the power to persuade you of daughterhood. And it doesn't work against that which tries to persuade you that you're not. Or that God's not, right? It's life that possesses the power to persuade you that you're the son and daughter of God. And it's death that tries to convince you you're not. And so, listen, that's what I realized one day when I felt like I was being nailed to the tree. I know I'm beautiful to you. That ain't helping me now. Right? And that, you've heard me say it a million times, that was right in line with the conversation where God said, have you considered the resurrection lately, Greg? What's that got to do with yes. it? Yes. <laughs> yes. You, you, you guys mostly hear me after the fact, yeah. where I've ironed out all of the, the, the pain and anger and confusion with God, right? But yeah, there was like, I didn't get it immediately. It took a while, and I was frustrated. Like, I felt like, like, I don't know about the resurrection. I mean, I'm already started a church, bro, and you're trying to tell me, have I considered the resurrection? You know how many Easter's I preached about the resurrection? <laughs> You see, I'm one of those guys that you, I'm inconsolable. That's, that's me. But when I get it, that's it. It's, it's checkmate. But I'm one of those guys that's inconsolable. While I'm going through it, you can't convince me. Your eloquent speech, your powerful persuasive arguments, don't do it for me. Right? Because I'll have a, I'll come back. And I come back to God. I played chess with God for many years, thinking that I checkmated him. I didn't realize he was playing like 10D chess and I was playing checkers right but yeah have you considered the resurrection the reason Jesus was persuaded of sonship the power behind him walking as the son in this earth was he identified with the life he shared with the father right. he didn't identify with the life that was in the world Yes. and so when he heard the voice that came from the life that was in the world his heart said that's not my life yeah. and then his heart would look to where his life did come from he even said I'm going to butcher the verse and somebody might be able to, to quote the verse better. He was talking to people who couldn't understand him and he said, I'm from above and you're from below. Yeah. <laughs> he was talking about the life that he had. He also said, I know what is in man and it has nothing in me. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Lust. Yeah. It has nothing in him. Why? Because he possessed an incorruptible life. If you have eternal life, the voice of lack makes no sense. Right? right. That's why Jesus didn't fall down and worship the serpent when the serpent said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just fall down and worship me. Right. It's like that Facebook post I shared with you the other day where someone said, if you lost everything, would you still praise God? Yeah. That exalts the world in your life yeah. and minimizes God. Yeah. It's completely backwards. backwards. And what it is, is it's born from the foundation of thinking the world is the father of your life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. You would only say something like that if you thought that the world, the good life, is f- from the world. Right, right. I, I rejoice that I recognize that that was from below and not from above. Yeah. Well, I'd hate to lose everything. <laughs> Nobody wants to lose we everything. Would, we all would hate that. But, but the, the, the power... The, the life that we want is a life that isn't at the mercy of losing everything. Because where are you going to be if you lose everything? Correct. You still have God, you still have everything. The great the key with you, you didn't come down off the cross. Yeah. And the world's telling us to come down off the cross. Yeah. It's just like that. Everybody wanted to help her out. But, and they tried their best and did stuff, but she wouldn't come down off the cross. She had to look to the Father to bring her down that's it Amen. and I'm thankful I knew enough about God for, for the first time in my life I didn't try to clothe myself I sat in my nakedness and he, he worked enough freedom in me that I did what I wanted to do in coming to start this church you know what, you know what starting this church did left me in a place where there were no fig trees anywhere and so when I was confronted with my nakedness there was nothing around me to clothe myself with no trees. and it was just me and the anxiety that I felt and I promise you I felt like I was sweating blood for years so you, some of you guys know. You can ask my mom. You can ask Thomas. There are probably some days where Thomas thought, this guy's going to die. Any, <laughs> any week, this guy is, is done, right? And it was true. There were, Man, many weeks I would be in there during praise and worship and think, this is it. Let's just say you were on the ledge. <laughs> right? And it's and, like, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and it's like when you say, <clears throat> for us to get where we don't need any pastor or whatever, but sometimes when you're in that deep death, it is, that's what each other are here for, those messages Amen. to listen. Yeah. Because I started out with the first Bible study where Tom asked, why do you feel that you are not as you ought to be? You know, and just kept going on that mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was just that sitting and listening and hearing and just crying out to him. Yeah. You fed on the table of life that was prepared in front of you. And all of a sudden, what happened is life became exalted in your heart instead of the mortality you were experiencing or the death you were experiencing. And that's all it takes is for life to be exalted in your heart above the death. And it's like nobody wants to lose all things, but you know what eternal life can't think? You know what thought is inconsistent with eternal life? That you could lose anything. If you have eternal life, you can't lose anything. That's a thought that comes from a corruptible life. That's a thought that comes from the life the prince of this world has fathered, that you could lose everything, right? right? Because that life does not come from a life that created all things, that holds all things together, that you could lose everything. It's inconsistent with that kind of a life. Right. So the, the death, that's why we crucify death every, de- every time we meet, right? Because in your heart being circumcised from the death that's in the world, or the life that's in the world, which is why Paul said, I'm dead to the world and the world to me. He was giving us all a hint why he was animated with the grace of God. 
He didn't look at the life he had from the world and identify with that life. And that separated him from weakness being what shaped his life. And now he realized strength is always present with me, even when I feel weak. Yes. And in fact, the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. Because even in God looking weak, nailed to the tree, he was actually overcoming death in the flesh. Right? right? Yeah. And so you see what death, it was the death of the cross that the serpent used to try to convince Jesus that he wasn't the son of God. It was the death of the cross that the serpent tried to use to convince Jesus that the Father wasn't there with him. Well, listen, guys, that means that that's what the serpent tries to use against us. That's right. That's what he uses, the life that's in the world. He uses that to convince us we're not the children of God. He uses that to convince us God's not there with us if we, we don't have something we need. And I promise you, if you see God there with you, you know what you'll never think? I don't have something I need. Mm. Because God is so much that he will, your sight will be swallowed up with him. Yeah. It's the unsearchable riches that it talks about. And so there's, it's, it, it like leaves you with no more space to consider what you need. Mm. Because every space has been filled. You can right? think of it in terms of light and darkness. If you had a perfectly bright light, you wouldn't be even thinking about darkness because you couldn't conceive of darkness being the presence of that light. That's right. That's, that's the power we say, God with us. See, in, in the light of the resurrection is that kind of light that Thomas is talking about. Right. That's the manifestation of everlasting Father. The resurrection is the manifestation of everlasting Father, and it's with the intent to give us eyes to see God with us. And that's not just supposed to be like some ethereal thing where we say, well, we see Linda's with us. Hallelujah. But I can also see Barb with us and Marie and Marie's with us. No, no, no. God with you means that you see life present with you. You see you have all things. Yes. That's what it means to have eyes to see God with you. Mm. Right? Mm. Glory to God. You guys want cake? Yes. There's cake out there. <laughs>